0: Good morning.
1: Welcome home, family. It's great to see everyone here this morning. Well, as I said, welcome again to River Valley Community Church. Hopefully you were warmly greeted. Uh, We are going to spend the next couple of weeks diving into the Christmas story as we're celebrating and remembering our Savior being born for us. Uh, and we'll be doing this looking in the Gospel of Luke primarily, and so uh, we'll be in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for this time that we can gather as your people, that we can gather under your Word to be taught who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, we just pray for this time that as, as we read the Word, as we study the Word, that you bring it to Uh, to life in our hearts and our minds, that we can know you all the more, that we can worship you all the more, that we can fall in love with you all the more as we see your love displayed for us in the sending of your Son. Lord, I love you. We love you. We seek you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's it's Christmas time, as most of the people are aware. If you're not aware, go drive, you know, down Rogers Avenue, and you see very well that's The holidays are upon us. And so uh, Christmas is a time of traditions. Usually when people are celebrating Christmas or around the holiday season there's traditions that people do families gather together loved ones get together you have maybe decorations that you put up you watch the same movies that you watch every year you maybe uh tr- plan those traditional family meals and and so there's all these traditions that are maybe built around this season season and some of the best traditions i would argue are the ones that kind of point back to why we celebrate in the first place where they they have these little boxes that they pull out and they read the verse that's leading up to the birth of Christ. Now they like it because they get a piece of candy every time they pull out that box, but the intent is there that they are learning again and it's embedded into them, why are we celebrating this season? So there's all these traditions that are are around this season and they're good. They could be fun traditions, they can Quirky traditions—they can be, be traditions that you're just your family celebrate. But we probably all have those, or they're around us, or we know about them, and that's all really good. But sometimes, the, what traditions do—the difference time of this year—is that this season becomes uh, kind of separate from the rest of the year. And we start thinking of Christmas as its own kind of entity that it comes encapsulated and that's here and then the rest of our life, the rest of our faith kind of carry on, carry on uh, like normal. And so what happens then is then that we, we only kind of celebrate Jesus being given to us, Jesus being born one time a year and it's just this, this time and we kind of forget how that kind of comes back to the rest of our life, to the rest of our faith. And so it's good to kind of think about this. How do we bring uh, the truth of who Christ is into all of our life as we remember it and we celebrate, not just this time of year, but as we celebrate all year because it's the the Father loves us so much that he sends his Son. And that is what we're going to be seeing today as we look into the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be seeing how God sends Jesus for us. So you have your Bibles? You can turn to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. Uh, And if you don't, don't worry, it's going to be on the screen behind us. And so this is one of the uh, the narratives about how uh, the birth of Jesus is foretold. And so it starts like this in verse 26. In the sixth month, the the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And we will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So if you've looked at your bulletin or you've seen the graphic up, up there, you we, we see that we're going to do a series in Christmas called Triune Christmas. Where the fact is that all of God, all of the Trinity was involved in this monumentous, monumentous occasion. That when we're celebrating Christmas, we should be celebrating the Father in the Holy Spirit, in the Son all together because they're all working together to save us. That we believe, is actually the Christian distinctive, that we believe in God as one being, one essence, but three persons. That He is the Father, He is the Son, He is the Holy Spirit. And as He reveals this to us, and we know this to be true, and because of that, we know who God is and how He's revealed Himself. Because of this, this beautiful Trinity, we know how God has worked throughout all of history. And so we remember that. And I want to stress that this Christmas season because just like how traditions can kind of compartmentalize Christmas from the rest of our life, sometimes Christmas itself, remembering Jesus being born for us, can compartmentalize or separate the Son from the Father and can separate the Son from the Holy Spirit. And we kind of almost focus solely on the Son to the detriment of actually understanding how God, all of God, is working to save us. And so when we look at this passage about how Jesus is being foretold, how he's going to be born, I'll just summarize it this way. And we see this, I think you can see a strong emphasis emphasis as as Gabriel is talking to Mary about how the Father sends, that the Father is sending the Son. That the Father is sending the, the Savior, that the, He's sending all these descriptive titles that Gabriel relays to Mary, but the fact is that the Father is sending as his plan, that is, it's, it's, it's uh, his his grace, it's his sending that is all encompassed in this in this passage, that the Father sends so that we can be saved. And that's not just new to the Savior being sent for us. When we think about the whole Bible story, what do we see again and again? We see the Father who sends. That the Father Father sends His prophets so that people can know who He is. That the Father sends His angels so that they can hear the message of who He is. That again and again the Father sends so that people, us, can respond to who He is. The Father sends so that we can be saved. I think that we see this through this passage, and we first and foremost see that if the Father sins, that means that the Father has a plan. God has a plan. I would argue we see the Father sinning almost right from the beginning when it's talking about who is sent. It's Gabriel. This angel is sent from God to the small town from God. He's sent from the Father to relay this message. If you doubt, if you wonder if Gabriel was sent from the Father, I love it. Just read a little bit before, uh, before when Gabriel visits Zechariah, and what does he say in verse 19 when kind of Zechariah is, is kind of uh, um, questioning who he is? He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring to you this good news. This is a monumentalist kind of thing to think about, that Gabriel stood in the presence of God and then was sent by the Father to convey the good news. The good news that Jesus was going to be born for us. But again, as you think about the whole testimony of the bible of god sending the god that god has a plan for our redemption we see that again and again you can read about it in in passages like in the in the first chapter of ephesians when it talks about before the foundations of the world god is planned to save us he knew who we were he he was orchestrating all of history for that reason Theologians call this the covenant of redemption that before even the world was made, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and the Father says, who's going to go And the Son says send me? It's this beautiful thing about how God has a plan from the very beginning to save a people for himself. It involves him working this out, that he has this plan. But if you doubt that God has a plan. We just need to look at kind of who is Gabriel talking to and the events that are leading up to us. And what you really see is that this is prophecy being fulfilled. You see promises being kept. That when he's talking to um, Mary and when he's talking about who this child is going to be, prophecy is being fulfilled that God had talked about. Even the very fact that she was in Galilee. Is a prophecy being fulfilled? People point back to Isaiah 9:1, where it's talking about how salvation is going to come, the light's going to come to Galilee. And people point to maybe this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, or maybe it's even right here, the fact that Mary is from Galilee, and that's why Jesus ends up back in Galilee when he is an adult, preaching him coming. You can just think about the fact that it says, Gabriel came to Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man. This Mary This was a fulfilled prophecy of Isaiah seven fourteen, talking about how salvation was going. This passage is set in Isaiah seven fourteen It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. These prophecies are being fulfilled just from here. You see this in the fact that he's going, he's described as being the son of David, of the house of David, that his throne will last forever. Again, this is pointing back to Isaiah 9, 6, where it's talking about his, the, the, the promised one who's going to reign. And it's fulfilling this promise to David himself in 2 Samuel 7. Uh, 15 and 16 talking about how the lord is going to establish a son a descendant of david who's going to reign forever on his throne that all this and how how uh, gabriel is speaking to mary is is uh, fulfilling these prophecies even the fact that he tells mary the lord is with you i think it's a hint of the very fact that emmanuel the son is coming And the Lord is going to be with her, and the Lord is going to be with all of humanity because He's going to come as this babe born. And and Gabriel says, you will bear a son. This is not so much of a prophecy, but a promise from the very beginning all the way back into Genesis 3, 15. If you remember right when everything seemed chosen to not listen to God, they were rebels against their holy God. And because of that, they were now under the curse of sin. And in this curse of sin, God gives them hope. He says, there will come to you an offspring, a seed, a son, who's going to crush the serpent's head. And even in that, you see this promise fulfilled. That God sends His Son to us, to save us, that God sends, that God has this plan for our salvation, and what a beautiful thing it is. A lot of people might doubt the prophecy being fulfilled in Jesus, and it's a common thing sometimes when people talk about this to to argue whether this is truly prophecy, or or are we trying to make the narrative fit what came before I think it's very clear though, that this, it works out so beautifully again and again, these things that Jesus had no control of, this thing that people had no control of, of how he's born and where he's born and who he came to, that is showing that God had a plan, the Father had a plan, and he was bringing it to completion. And really, it's amazing, you can do this, I'm not a math person by any stretch. I read that if you do the probability, if you actually do the math of the probability of one person fulfilling just eight of these prophecies, it is the probability of one to ten to the seventeenth power. That's, that's, that's one with seventeen zeros after it. That's a big number. I don't think I even have the word for that number. And so that's just, it's just outlandish to think of just one person fulfilling just eight of those prophecies. Now, there's a lot more prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. In fact, people pulled it further and they said, hey, just like if he fulfilled 48 of the prophecies that are true that he fulfilled about himself, that probability now reaches up to one to the 157th uh, power. That's again, one with 157 zeros after it. That's phenomenal. to think about that probability and i think that helps us understand how this was not a mistake this is not a fluke and if you read the bible and you believe the bible and you see who god is you know this is not a fluke because nothing catches him by surprise nothing kind of takes him back nothing actually escapes his notice that he has a plan and his plan includes the salvation of his people which means that when we think about Jesus being sent for us, we have to think about all the things that God planned and would. And we see a God who meticulously designs this world with one purpose, and that is to bring His people back to Him so that He can be glorified as people understand who He is and can relate to Him through His sent Son. That God has a plan the father has a plan and that plan is to send his son so that we could be saved the father sins so that we can be saved the fact that his father sins the father has a plan really shows that this is from beginning to end his grace being expressed to humanity not just to humanity but his grace being expressed to mary it's interesting, we read, these account, read this account and we see how he greets Mary and says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And how this troubled her. And then later it says, you know, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And we read that and because we translate that word favor, we naturally start thinking this is saying something about Mary. That she is a favored one. Somehow she is more special. Than other people, or that she's, she's found favor of God. Maybe she did something that we haven't, we didn't read about that kind of earns her a place or earns her you know, all. In fact, this word favored really is the same word group that we get the word grace from. And so, really, I think what the author is saying is when, he, when Gabriel shows up, it's basically, hey, Mary, you who have received grace, guess what? God is going to be gracious with you. And that troubles Mary. Why? Because she says, why would he be gracious with me? I've done nothing to deserve this. I've done nothing to receive this blessing. I've done nothing to receive this grace. And that's the beauty of grace. Is that when Gabriel shows up and explains that she's going to bear the Messiah, he was explaining how she is going to receive this gracious act. This undeserved merit was going to be given to her. That God was going to deal kindly with her, not because of who she was or what she has done, but because of who he is and how he loves. And the the fact that she was going to bear this child was an act of grace. So when we see this language given to Mary, it's not saying so much about Mary is saying something very big about God. That He is gracious. That He uses everyday, average people, with their flaws and in their sin, to work out His plan from beginning to last. That we have done nothing to, to earn it. We have done nothing to merit. But He is gracious for us. That at His timing, At his appointed time, he uses average people like you and me to push forward and move his redemption plan. This from beginning to end is the Father's grace. The Father sins so that we can be saved. And the Father sins is said again and again through this passage and through the Bible as the supreme act of love. The very fact that the Father sends His Son is said again and again as the supreme act of love. We, We maybe go to probably the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, what does it say? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. The Father gave His Son. He sent His Son. He he sends His Son as His plan for salvation so that anyone who believes in Him him can have eternal life. The Father sends Why? Because He loves. Because He is love. And He sends His Son so that people can know that love. Does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world, so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Again, the Father sins, and that is the supreme act of love. He sends His Son. Why? So that our Son could live with us, for us. He could live a human existence, but not in sin. He could live a human existence following the law, um, fulfilling the law for us, so that He could go to the cross sinless and stand in our place, taking our place where our sins would be given to Him and his place of righteousness, his right standing with God, would be given to those who believe. This is the Father's love, that he sends his Son for us. And it starts, as we remember in Christmas, the sending of that child to Mary, being born to Mary. The Father sends, and this is the supreme act of love. Without the Father sending, there would be no Christmas. Without the Father sending, there would be no salvation for us to hope in. Without the Father sending, we would still be trapped in sin, separated from Him forever. But the Father sins, and so we are saved. The Father sins, and that's what we remember, that Him, in Christ, we can be saved. The theologian R.C. Sproul says central to the message of Jesus is the declaration that he was sent into the world by the Father. That we see this great picture of how we are saved. That the Father loves us so much that he sends his Son to live for us and to die for us. That this is love itself displayed for us. And this happens because we have a God who is trinity, triune, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together for our salvation. It's why God can be loved. can be loved itself. It says God is love that can only be true if God has for eternity had someone to love, and the Father has, and it's the Son. And then he does a miraculous thing is sending that son so that that love can be made known to us, and we can be pulled into the greatest love story there can ever be. It happens because the Father sends so that we can be saved. So when we read this story, when we read and think about all the great things about Christmas, as we celebrate hearts with the fact that God, the Father sends his son to save us what a big one i would argue is that god has a plan that's almost become cliche to say in some circles god has a plan people kind of use it as this kind of write-off when times are troubling or they don't understand what's going on they kind of just use it as a blanket statement and so sometimes i think it's lost uh the truth it's lost uh the effect it should have that when we read this story and we see the, the, the prophecy being fulfilled, and we read this story and we see how God is gracious with us, and we read the story and we see how he's bringing all these elements through time and space into a small little town in Galilee, we should see that God does have a plan, and that plan actually includes you. That plan includes us. And isn't that a truly amazing thing that God has a plan? And it's not just a plan to glorify himself, though that is a big aspect and he does glorify himself. It's not just a plan to kind of move the world from point A to point B, this plan is a plan of salvation. It's a redemption plan. This plan is to include us into his people. This plan is to save individuals by name that he knows to his people. This plan cannot be thwarted. This plan cannot be sidestepped. This plan will come to be, and we're reassured that when we read this story and we see how his plan was brought to fruition in the sending of his son. It's a great because sometimes when we look at our life, we, we feel like that can't be true. We look at our life and we say, I see what's going on in my life, and I'm experiencing pain and hardship I couldn't even fathom, and I wonder what is happening. But the fact that God has a plan shows us that even though it might be dark right now, God is moving us through this and using even the current darkness we might face for his glory. God has a plan, and it's for our benefit, and it's for His glory, and it's for us to be more like His Son, and it's for us to be His. It's this great aspect of our faith that we trust in God, no matter what. R.C. Sproul says again this, the Bible speaks often of God's eternal counsel, of His plan of salvation and the like, it is a matter of theological urgency that Christians not think of God as a ruler who ad-libs his dominion of the universe. He does not make it up as he goes along, nor must he be viewed as a bumbling administrator who is so inept in his planning that he, his blueprint for redemption must be endlessly subject to revision according to the actions of men. The God of Scripture has no plan B or plan C. His plan A is from everlasting to everlasting. It is both perfect and unchangeable as it rests on God's eternal character, which is, among other things, holy, omniscient, and immutable. God's eternal plan is not revived because He gained new knowledge that He lacked at the beginning. God's plan never changes because He never changes, and because perfection admits to no degrees and cannot be improved upon. That is our God that we worship. His plan stands true. it cannot be thwarted, it cannot be changed. It does not need to be changed because it's perfect, and that plan includes us, for us to be brought into His family, for us to be saved. So it was a great takeaway from reading and thinking about Christmas is that God has a plan, and that plan is being worked out for our good. It also means that God is true and full of grace. Because when we think about God as a plan, is being worked out that means we see again and again throughout the Bible, and we know this, that God has promised. God has said something is going to happen. And guess what? It's going to happen. And we wait faithfully for it to happen. And we see how God has said something is going to happen. He's going to bring it about. And it's not because we somehow are going to prompt him or somehow remind him or somehow do something good enough that he remembers who we are and responds. No, he has a plan he's carrying out. He's true to his word and he's full of grace. He's initiating this plan. Plan. He's making sure it's going to be his, our true and gracious God. And we trust in him. We also know that this true and gracious God is the God of salvation. That He saves us. Humanity when we were at our worst, when we wanted nothing to do with God, when we were going astray and we were spitting in his face and we're continually living for ourselves and our own desires, this is when God acts to bring us back to him. That he saves us. That In spite of ourselves, in spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion, he still loves us and sends his son to die for us, to demonstrate his love for us, to make sure we are brought back so we can live in harmony with Him as we were designed to be. And we celebrate this, that God saves. That God has a plan that includes us. He's full of, (coughs) He's, He's gracious and true, and He saves us because we need someone to save us. We take this from this Christian message, I mean a Christmas message when we read this passage, and other ones like it that point to the fact that God is working. Would that change how we celebrate Christmas? Or worship during Christmas when we remember this fact about how the Father sends his son for us? How about how he's orchestrating all of history for this event and beyond? that he's true to himself and he saves us from our sins. That when we read this we should use these facts to worship all the more this Christmas season. That we should use Christmas as a time to remind ourselves of the great salvation we have in Jesus Christ and the great love that God has as he sends his son for us. The father sends so that we can be saved. Join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You so much for Your Word that we can read it and understand it, that we can see Your truth about how You save, about how You plan. Lord, I just pray for this time, I pray for this season, that we can be reminded and encouraged of You, of Your grace, of Your plan, of Your salvation. as we think about christmas and what we celebrate and the sending of your son and the birth of jesus christ that it could prompt us to worship you all the more the reality of grace in our salvation and lord i just pray that you continue to work in our lives that we can worship you all the more appreciate the salvation we have and respond with all of who we are for all these things in jesus name Amen. amen